Tennessee practice for the first time for the 2023 football season. What did I see? Who passed the eye test? Major takeaways from Tennessee practice number one right here on Locked On Balls. You are Locked On Balls, your daily podcast on the Tennessee Volunteers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome into it. This is Locked On Vols, your Thursday show, and I'm your host, Eric Kane. Appreciate you for being here. Shout out everydayers for making this your morning routine, whether you're watching on YouTube or wherever you find your audio podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm underscore Kaner on Twitter at Locked On Vols. You can always find me. Fun show coming up today. Practice number one notes. I was there. We got to see eight periods, about 45 minutes. Um, again, they were just in helmets. I'll tell you what I saw. I'll tell you who impressed me. That's coming up in a matter of seconds. Josh Ward, a day late. Ward Wednesday on a Thursday in segment two. And then we will wrap up our scouting the opponent series with Vanderbilt in segment number three. So what did I see when I went to Tennessee football practice, kind of open up fall camp on Wednesday morning? Well, um, I always kind of go through a, a detailed you know, progression whenever I do my practice reports over at VolQuest.com, and I'm going to read some of my report over there right now, but of course I encourage you to go over there and check it out. Uh, one month or $1 for one month right now, great deal over at VolQuest.com. I, I start with the injuries. You know, Guys are always uh, practicing in red jerseys or red non-contact jerseys, meaning they can do some things, but you know the heavy lifting, 11-on-11 team stuff, contact stuff you can't really do. And it's begin. It's the beginning of fall camp, so pretty much the team's really healthy for the most part right now. Uh, didn't see many red jerseys outside of what the quarterbacks were wearing, and so I thought that was a good sign. Jordan Thomas, a safety that had a knee uh, injury in spring practice, he was out there flying around, and I think he went inside for uh, some specialty work after uh, individual work, which you know is still a good sign because he had a big hefty brace on there leaving spring practice last year. Looks like he's close to being full go. Uh, Dylan Sampson, he was out there doing individual work and stuff like that. A little minor injury. He should be back full go before it's all said and done. But he did individual. Then he went inside and, and got some specialty work. When I say inside, I mean you're out there on the practice field and then you go into the indoor when you can't do some of the contact stuff. Um, Some other players did leave practice a little early. Chaz Nimrod, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Chaz Nimrod, he had to go to class, I believe. Uh, some of these other guys like Kamal had Nathan Leacock, they went to class as well. There's still seven to eight days of summer classes left, so you're going to have a little bit of schooling for some guys the first part of camp, nothing but camp, and then actual school starts towards the end of camp. So not a whole lot of time for just football, but when you're right there in the meat of fall camp, when you're getting delirious and you get camp eye and you're tired and all you want to do is hit somebody else, that's when it's going to be full go football. But nonetheless, uh, good to see some other guys out there. Ethan Davis, of course, broke his collarbone uh, at the end of the spring game. He looks to be out there with no limitations, so that's good. And so overall, my point is this team is is pretty healthy to begin fall camp, which is always a great sign. There'll be injuries. Football's a contact sport. It is what it is, but to start camp uh, looks to be in good shape. Uh, you look at the offense and you know evaluating the quarterbacks. I thought Joe Milton, day one, they were wearing helmets, no shoulder pads, just the jerseys. Um, so again, take everything with a grain of salt. It is day one. There's no shoulder pads. There's no contact. And again, I can't stress this enough, it was day one. Joe Milton looked good, though. Um, not a whole lot of balls on the ground, tight spirals. Looks like he's taken a lot off his touch passes. Looks like his accuracy's improved, and that's something that Josh Heupel, Joey Halsley, 
and even some players have made mention of, you know, over uh, kind of leading into this season about his accuracy. But it looked like Joe Milton had a pretty good day uh, through a touchdown pass that I saw to Dante Thornton in seven on seven and to Jacob Warren uh, later in the day. Nico Iamaliava uh, saw some good throws as well. Also saw him fumble the football one time on a play action with the mesh of the running back. You know, that's going to happen. Young quarterback start a camp. Um, saw him throw uh, behind a couple of receivers as well, but did see him uh, make one really, really good throw on an out route to McCallan Castles down the sideline or towards the sideline. That was a really, really good ball. So overall, quarterbacks look pretty good. Uh, wide receivers, you know, Ramel Keaton looks different. And maybe it's because he went from the number 80 to number nine, but you continue to hear all this praise for Ramel Keaton, and he's just such a good route runner, and his hands have really improved. Saw him make a, ni- a couple nice catches. Uh, Squirrel White worked pretty well out of the slot. Uh, Brew McCoy kind of led that group as he always does on the outside. I saw Caleb Webb make a nice catch in seven on seven. So that was good to see. But the big takeaway offensively, um, or at least on the offensive line as I moved down to the trenches, again, day one. And you really can't see a lot about the offensive line until you scrimmage, until you actually put some shoulder pads on and, and you start going, you know, full go. These guys were just wearing helmets. But when they lined up, you know, first group working left to right, second group working left to right. Gerald Mincy was still repping at left tackle. Now, he was behind John Campbell. I continue to say John Campbell is who they want to start left tackle, and Gerald Mincy and and Jeremiah Crawford to kind of battle it out to see who's going to play right tackle. But on day one, Gerald Mincy was running with the twos behind behind newcomer John Campbell at left tackle. I found that really interesting. Uh, Jeremiah Crawford was with the ones at right tackle, Dane Davis with the twos at right tackle. Uh, that, that's something I'm going to have to pay attention to to see where Gerald Mincy is lining up, if he's cross-training or if he's staying on the left side because you can't play right. We'll have to keep tabs on that. I think from a built perspective, Gerald Mincy is who you want on the field, but if you can't switch over and adapt to the right side, then you're not going to play. So we'll have to keep tabs on that. Uh, that. That line complete was John Campbell left tackle, Ollie Lane left guard, Cooper May center, Javante Spragans right guard, and again, J.J. Crawford at right tackle. So that was the biggest thing uh, that I noted from the offensive line day one. Addison Nichols, when you were doing some teamwork, he was snapping the football with the twos at center. Um, When you went into 11-on-11, he went with the third group at center. So where is Addison Nichols? How much center work is he getting, or is he going to factor in to the left guard competition? We'll have to to watch. Uh, So those were some of the big things I saw on the offensive side. Defensively, First and foremost, you talk about the eye test, man, those freshman linebackers look good. I made mention of it. In fact, I think I said those freshman linebackers look like a million bucks. Aaron Carter and Jeremiah T. Lander, Jeremiah T. Lander especially, goodness gracious. How about that offseason conditioning and strength program? Those freshmen benefited from it for sure. They looked really good, and those guys are continuing to work with the third group of linebackers. But Keenan Peely, I think, slimmed down a little bit. I think he looks good. Uh, deeper, um, you know, more bodies. Uh, I think they're going to play more linebackers. That linebacker group looked pretty impressive day one in just helmets. You look up front, uh, James Pierce noticed that he was kind of leading the line a couple of different times, you know, jumping up to get his rep first, and uh, that's always a good sign, especially from a guy that kind of needed to take that step in the right direction. But a lot of bag work, a lot of explosion work on the defensive line for for those guys, and I noticed James Pierce kind of stood out to me. When they went to team, here's how they lined up. Again, day one, no shoulder pads. I'm going to continue to say that because we always overreact. Well, oh, so-and-so's going with the starters. Day one, 
No shoulder pads. This is what the defensive line looked like, okay? Uh, Tyler Barron in the five technique. Bryson Eason at defensive tackle. You had um, Omari Thomas at, uh, let's see, Omari Thomas at defensive tackle and Roman Harrison at Leo. When the second group went out there, it was Dominic Bailey at the five tech, a defensive end. You had Croc uh, Garland at defensive tackle, Elijah Simmons at defensive tackle, and Joshua Josephs at Leo. Other guys like Omar Norman Lott, you know, rotated in a defensive line, James Pierce at Leo, Tyree West at the five technique. So those guys were getting plenty of work. But that's what the defensive line looked like day one when they lined up. And then let's go to the back end. Again, <laughs> can't stress enough, no shoulder pads day one. Here is what the secondary looked like, the ones, the twos in day one. Okay, you had Slaughter and Turnage, Danico Slaughter and Brandon Turnage at corners. You had Wesley Walker and Andre Turrentine at safety. And then Tamari McDonald at the star position. Okay, keep in mind, Kamal Haddon, I believe, was at class at that point in time, so he would have probably taken the spot of turnage if he was out there. Jalen McCullough was out there. He just didn't go with the ones on day one. Now, a lot of people you know, want some some new you know, faces back there at safety. Uh, it's day one of fall camp, but um, you know, Jalen McCullough was going with the twos and the threes uh, while it was uh, Andre Turrentine and uh, Wesley Walker up there first for the safeties. Of course, Gabe Judy Lolly was there working in at cornerback as well. None of this matters until you put the pads on, so it just kind of is what it is. A lot of veterans go first, um, but of course, Jalen McCullough is very much a veteran. He knows what to do, especially in this defense. So uh, those were my big takeaways from uh, from day number one. Uh, guys who looked the part, you can tell the strength and conditioning's paid off. Jeremiah T. Lander, freshman linebacker. Aaron Carter, freshman linebacker. I would say Keenan Peely looks pretty different. Um... Wesley Walker, I think Josh Ward's going to mention him as well, but I noticed that as well. Wesley Walker looked good. McCallum Castle's beefed up a little bit. Um, I thought Khalifa Keith, man, true freshman running back, got here in June. He spoke to the media. Boy, he's a unit. <laughs> he is a unit, that's for sure. I think Tyree Weathersby looked pretty good as well, and I'll continue to get more eyes on people as the week goes on. But those were some of my takeaways. We got to see 45 minutes of practice in practice one. That's the most practice we will get to see the entire year. Uh, later this morning when I go to practice, it will be period zero through two, which is about 24 minutes, roughly, and uh, that'll be the case throughout the rest of camp. But um, hey, I will tell you what I saw from practice two. Uh, that's coming up tomorrow on a uh, on a Friday show. But uh, that's what I saw, and uh, you know, practice is here. That means football season is right around the corner, and I know you're excited because I am excited too. Hey guys, when we come back, Josh Ward is going to join the show for a little Ward Wednesday on a Thursday when we return here on Lockdown Vols. But these days, every potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. That's why you've got to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. We've all put our jobs on all our online resumes at LinkedInJobs.com because we wanted to take the next step in our career. And maybe now you're there. Maybe you are a small business owner and you have worked so hard to create your passion project, but you don't want to trust it with just anybody. You need somebody that is qualified to help you run your business and work under you, but you don't want to just hire anybody. You can find the right person over at LinkedIn Jobs. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you want to interview 
and then ultimately hire. It's why small businesses rank LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering qualified hires versus its leading competitors. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and for free. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That is linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Appreciate you guys for being here on Locked On Vols here on this Thursday. We're a day late, but a little Ward Wednesday action on a Thursday. Josh Ward, co-host of Josh and Swain, 99.1 The Sports Animal. Josh, Tennessee Fall Campus here. You were out there at uh, fall practice number one with me Wednesday morning. What were some of the big things, the big takeaways that you saw from the volunteers on day one? The Vols lost all their football pads. They can't go out and play these teams without pads. I'm kidding. It's the the start of camp, and when you see them without pads, it's a reminder, okay, we have to take it slow here with how we react. We wait months to see football. You're not going to find out too much in day number one. But I did look at Tennessee out there in the practice field, watching the defensive backs, watching a number of position groups, and have a thought similar to what Josh Heupel said at his press conference after the first practice, and that is that the roster – is very much different from where it's been the last couple of years in terms of depth. And really depth means the amount of talent and guys that they could potentially count on if needed. A lot of times when we talk about depth, that really just means talent because you can have a a roster full of scholarship players, but if you don't trust them to actually go in the game, that's when you run into issues. So that's, that's not the case here at Tennessee anymore. They have recruited guys to come in and compete in the defensive backfield, for example. They have guys that are legitimate players who may not be ready right now along the line of scrimmage, but could be either over the course of this season or over the next couple of years. So competition will be a big part of the conversation at a certain uh, number of groups, but I think the defensive backfield across the board, when you see the amount of guys that have come back plus newcomers, creates the most interesting conversation. You know, we'll get back to practice number one here in a moment. Let's go back to media day on Tuesday. Um, they got a story coming out of VolQuest.com about this uh, here at some point this week. But, you know, Ramel Keaton didn't speak at media day, but everybody was talking about Ramel Keaton. And again, you know, he's been a topic of conversation. One of great stories last year's team stepped up, performed well and everything. And, and you know he's going to be a starter this year. But I was a little bit surprised on Tuesday walking off campus like, Man, everybody was talking, was just singing the praises of Tennessee receiver Ramel Keaton. Yeah, he's a guy that he's easy to kind of just push to the side in conversation because he's a part of a position group, meaning the wide receivers, where you have a newcomer in Dante Thornton that's very exciting to talk about, this 6'5 athlete who deserves to be talked about as a newcomer from Oregon. And Joey Halsley is talking him up, and he got a lot of the offseason attention as did Squirrel White, who is stepping into a bigger opportunity in the slot with Jalen Hyatt gone. We saw what Jalen was able to do in that position. And Bayless Jones the year before, and then Brew McCoy is an all-SEC candidate. So you run through all that, it's like, oh, yeah, Ramel Keaton. But Joe has a real conf- uh, real connection with Keaton. He has put in the work, and that to me is the substance of this, is that Joey Halsley talked about going over to the facility it's rare that you will not see Ramel Keaton there getting in work. Jason Swain on our show several weeks ago, sometime earlier in the summer, was over at the complex and said, I saw Ramel Keaton there getting in a ton of work. Don't forget about him. And then when you come back to the connection he has with Joe Milton, Keaton's who went with Milton to New York on the trip that they made, checking out different businesses, groups uh, with Spire Sports, 
that doesn't tell you everything, but it does show some kind of connection. So Keaton is a very important player, and I think he's going to have a really good season for Tennessee. You know, Joey Halsley was asked, um, is this something the media kind of plays up, or is there some validity to it? You know, Ramel Keaton was catching balls from Joe Milton all last year in practice going, you know, repping with the twos. And sure, they intertwine and everything. Joe Milton got some reps with the ones, and I'm sure Ramel Keaton and Squirrel White got some reps with Hendon Hooker and everything. But Joe Milton has been throwing to Ramel Keaton for like two and a half years now since he's been on campus. And I thought it was interesting. He was like, I mean, it's not nothing, but at the end of the day, it doesn't beat getting out there on Saturdays in a game setting. But again, it's not nothing. It kind of goes back to that connection you're talking about. Right. Um, Joe has trust in Ramel Keaton. And I think Keaton, over the last couple of years, has earned the trust of just his teammates. He's The respect of his teammates is probably the better way of putting it. We talk about the chemistry that's going to exist between a quarterback and the receiver. It's there. Now, we also saw in the Orange Bowl, Squirrel White have a number of opportunities with number of catches. And remember late in the Missouri game, the bomb down the field to Squirrel White that Joe Milton threw. So they've established a connection as well. So it's not just one player, but to me, it's more about we go through this offseason and it's very easy. I think it's commonplace to talk about newcomers or the next man up and then easily forget about the guy who may not be as exciting as somebody like a 6'5", Dante Thornton, who averaged more than 21 yards per catch at Oregon, or Squirrel White, who, again, is is exciting for a number of reasons, and then you just put Ramel over to the side when he might be a guy that leads the way in one or two categories. We'll see. The catch in the final drive against Alabama – the first half catch down the sideline, diving for the ball against Florida, were big-time plays. Earlier, I think it was in that game, he made a catch down the sideline, was able to avoid defenders and pick up first downs. Those are the big-time plays that the coaching staff will remember, that Joe Milton will remember, and that his teammates know he made. I spoke on this a little bit in segment number one, but uh, from your vantage point, you know, you're not going to find out a lot of things by seeing one practice. I mean, quite frankly, we'll be doing this again next week, and we'll be saying, what have we learned so far? Well, not yeah. a whole lot, just kind of how it is. But who passed the eye test for you on Wednesday? Meaning when you walked out there and you're like, oh, wow, that guy's been working out, or oh, wow, that freshman does not look like a freshman anymore. Who were some of those guys that passed the eye test for you? Okay, so a couple of players that I said, okay, um, one would be Wesley Walker, who last year I thought would make – a nice impact coming in as a transfer from Georgia Tech, and it didn't really happen. He didn't get much of an opportunity because he was projected at star where Tamarian McDonald won and still matters, by the way. But now Walker with more of an opportunity at safety, he looks like he had a good offseason in terms of workouts and preparing for this upcoming year. Um, Keenan Peely is a guy that we just we know is coming in to help solidify that linebacker position next to Aaron Beasley, who – also, I think, just is poised to have a really good season for Tennessee. And those two combined, Peely, who's a 25-year-old that has played a lot of football in college and has just been around for a while, he's more he's, – he has to be the most mature guy on the team. He's married. He's the oldest. Uh, and then Beasley, who's played a lot and came on, especially at the end of the season with the way he performed against Clemson, could have been the MVP, in my opinion, in that game. So those two guys – look like they belong at linebacker. And then a guy that we've already talked about a lot, Arian Carter, would stand out to me in in that regard as well. I also thought Thornton, as much as I say, you know, don't forget about Ramel Keaton. If you see Thornton out there, 
you understand why <laughs> he's getting the talk that he is because he looks like a guy that could explode and make big plays in this offense. All right, well, here's that question that you're not going to have an answer for, but over the course of the next couple of days, Tennessee will practice again today, tomorrow, Saturday. Uh, we'll have Sunday off and then get back after it for week two next week. What are you hoping to learn? What are you hoping <laughs> to see? What are you hoping to kind of kind of get a gauge on with the Tennessee football team the first little bit of fall camp? Well, I would love to learn more about the defensive backfield. I said that's a very interesting conversation because there are so many players to talk about. Like, here's an example I mentioned on Wednesday show, so shortly after day one of camp had concluded, uh, I said to Swain, you know who I didn't really talk about this offseason? I don't remember him coming up much in conversation was Andre Turrentine. Mm -hmm. And he was a guy that a year ago was very exciting to talk about. He's a transfer yeah. from Ohio State, but he didn't really play, at least in the defensive backfield. So we move on to the freshmen, who, by the way, also are eligible in that question you just asked, who looks the part? The freshmen who were here in the spring, they look like, guys that deserve to be highly touted as recruits, Matthews and, and Gibson, uh, Christian Conyers, a guy that's physically impressive. So uh, the competition in the secondary with these veterans who have come back, like Jalen McCullough, who's trying to hold on to a spot versus Wesley Walker, who's moving over and looking to be back there in a starting position, similar to where he was at Georgia Tech. Uh, somebody like Christian Charles, who wants to be a part of the equation, but he knows and the others know that these other freshmen have come in, and uh, transferring Gabe Judy Lolly has come in, not to be a backup, but to try to start. But these freshmen are so talented and have so much athleticism, plus guys like Kamal Haddon and Brandon Turnage, who are going to factor in in competition, and Warren Burrell. So uh, I would love to learn what's going to happen there. I just don't know that I expect to over the next few weeks. Maybe the offensive line, maybe we get a better idea because J.J. Crawford's first day said, don't forget about me. Yeah. The right tackle, and then you have the left guard battle as well. Really interesting seeing Gerald Mincy on the left side. Again, mm -hmm. it's day one. There's no shoulder pads. Yeah, um, I'm sure they're cross-training, but it was really interesting seeing Gerald Mincy on the left side with J.J. Crawford on the right side. Um, I, I thought that was one of the yeah. bigger storylines from day one. There are all kinds of qualifiers from day one or the first few days, and we'll see less practice time moving forward. Day one was eight periods that were open. It's two periods on day number two. But uh, one, one thing you can see is who's lining up where, and yep. that at least gives an indication of some of the competition. He's Josh War, co-host of Josh and Swain on 99.1 The Sports Animal. He's got his uh, Friday morning weekly newsletter that comes out, so you can go ahead and subscribe to that newsletter if you so choose to. It's in the description of this video and this audio uh, podcast here today. Josh, what's coming up the rest of the week on Josh and Swain? Yep, all kinds of football talk. We uh, we had a good time discussing Josh Heupel describing the dramatically different roster. You can tell how excited he was about the work that the staff has put in recruiting and with transfers. So, yeah, it's football, football, football with some expansion and realignment talk mixed in. It won't go away, but we're actually talking football on the field as you are as well. He is Josh Ward at Josh underscore Ward on Twitter. Josh, thanks so much, man. You got it. Thank you. Or I guess I should say the X now, right? The X? You know, uh, I heard you can change the icon still on the app on your phone, which is just, it's it's throwing my mind off every time I open my phone. So I'm going to try to do that. Recommend others do as well. And uh, they still have the same domain. Let me know if you know how to figure that out because it is <laughs> just, it, it's, it's getting me as well. That's Josh Ward. Yep. Josh, appreciate it, man. Thank you. Welcome back into Locked On Vols. It is segment number three of your Thursday show. Appreciate you guys for being here. Shout out every dayers. 
We will conclude this episode of Locked On Balls by concluding our mini-series, scouting the opponents and the final regular season game of the year. It feels like forever away, but just like the offseason, it'll get over with before you know it. It will be in late November talking about getting ready for the Vanderbilt game and then what bowl game Tennessee could be going to. Or potentially, if all things go well, maybe a trip down to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. But anyway, uh, Vanderbilt concludes the regular season, and we're going to take a look at the Commodores here to finish off the Scouting the Opponent series. Vanderbilt's little brother, uh, whatever you want to call them, right? Tennessee. Vanderbilt is the Tennessee. Uh, Kentucky is the Tennessee. What Tennessee, unfortunately, has been to, to Florida uh, for much of this century. Uh, just dominating the series, right? And, and before Josh Heupel got here, Vanderbilt actually won a couple games, won two of the last four meetings, but Josh Heupel has uh, demolished Vanderbilt so far, being the head coach of the University of Tennessee. Last year, 56 to nothing that victory, uh, despite it being a pretty decent year for Clark Lee and Vanderbilt. Uh, week 13, it's going to be game number 12. November 25th it will be the uh, game after Thanksgiving, and it's going to take place at Neyland Stadium. And head coach Clark Lee entering his third season. Vanderbilt is 7-17 and through two seasons with Clark Lee. And again, uh, won five games last year. Significantly improved from that two-win campaign in year number one. Um, and, and, you know, a couple of those wins, right? You know, two and six in SEC play. But those two wins came against Florida and Kentucky. And if you remember going back into that Vanderbilt game last year, it was, well, Tennessee just got embarrassed by South Carolina. Hendon Hooker just tore his ACL. You have Vanderbilt that just beat one of the two, whether it be Florida or Kentucky. They were kind of rolling. It was a big-time week of preparation. And then, of course, Tennessee went out there and won 56 to nothing. So uh, Vanderbilt has improved, but it still has a whole lot of improving to go, especially on the offensive end. You look at the offense in 2022, uh, 24.5 points per game. That was 12th in the SEC. Kentucky and I can't remember what the other team, but uh, two teams were worse in terms of points per game in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, 347 yards of total offense. That was 13th in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, Vanderbilt, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but Vanderbilt hasn't had a winning season since 2013. So uh, it has been a minute. Look at the quarterback position. Mike Wright, who I thought was a dynamic quarterback and did some things in the uh, – and the SEC, he left via the transfer portal to go to Mississippi State to be a backup quarterback. I'm not really sure about that. I have to check the eligibility. Maybe he's got another year after this one, uh, potentially. But, you know, that's Will Rogers' show down there in Starkville. But he left, and, and there's still tons of experience on the roster at quarterback. True freshman last year, A.J. Swan. He's the projected starter coming up this year. 600 and, or let's see here, six games started, eight games played in. He threw over 1,200 yards, 10 touchdowns, 2 interceptions, completing 58% of his passes. So it's okay. It's not horrible. I like the touchdown-to-interception ratio for sure. And then you still have Ken Seals. In the era of the transfer portal, I don't know why Ken Seals is still at Vanderbilt, right? He was the 2020 starter. He started the 2021 opener and then lost his job to Mike Wright, but again has tons of experience. You do bring back your top four wide receivers, which is good if you are Vanderbilt, albeit you didn't score a lot of points or move the football much last year. But Will Shepard kind of leads that crew to really good receiver. 60 receptions last year, 776 yards, nine touchdowns. Will Shepard is a good receiver. Uh, the number two receiver, Jaden McGowan, 44 receptions, nearly 500 yards, and three touchdowns as well. He will have to be accounted for. Now, your running back running the football is going to be an issue. Your top two leading rushers from Vanderbilt in 2022 are gone. Mike Wright was second on the team from the quarterback position, 
As mentioned, he transferred to Mississippi State. And as we learned, looking at Kentucky in this series, Ray Davis transferring from Vanderbilt to Kentucky. He rushed for over 1,000 yards last year with the Commodores, but he is gone. So not a whole lot of punch in that backfield. Your leading receivers who or your leading rushers who are coming back uh, would be Patrick Smith and Chase Gillespie. And neither one of those guys had a whole lot of production. Maybe a freshman can get in there uh, this year. But if you look at the offensive line, it's pretty solid last year as well. Returning three starters. Uh, your both offensive tackles come back with starting experience, as do the as does the center for Vanderbilt. And that unit last year allowed only 15 sacks uh, in tw- in 13 games, so or in 12 games. Uh, not really bad there from Vanderbilt, but still a whole lot of improvement needing on the offensive end. Uh, when you finish 12th in the SEC in scoring and 13th in total offense. Now, um, you did have some wins, some big-time wins against Kentucky and Florida, and it is almost shocking that you had those wins when you look at how bad the defense was for Vanderbilt. Listen, I I remember going to SEC media days in Hoover, Alabama, prior to the 2021 season, and Clark Lee got up there on that stage and said, hey, nobody has numbers, nobody has a locker, you got to earn that, You know, trying to set down his culture, and I was like, well, he's going to fail. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. These are men (laughs) coming and playing football at a Power 5 institution. I understand setting boundaries and culture and respect and all that, but to come out there and say they got to earn their locker, they got to earn the jersey number on their back, I was like, that's stupid. Now, again, he had a pretty decent year last year, albeit for Vanderbilt standards, with some big wins over Kentucky and Florida, but it's shocking because the defense was so bad, and Clark Lee is a defensive-minded head coach coming over from Notre Dame. How bad was Vanderbilt's defense? Well, it gave up 36 points per game. That was easily last in the Southeastern Conference. That ranked 126 nationally, meaning there was only, what, six teams that were worse? Five teams that were worse defensively? Whew, that was not good. Auburn gave up 29.5 points per game last year, and that was second worst in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, A full touchdown uh, a full touchdown ahead of them. So, uh, again, that that just goes to show you how bad Vanderbilt was defensively. Also, in, total, in terms of total defense, 465 yards given up per game last year. That was last in the SEC. That was 122nd in the nation. So, you're looking at 9 to 10 teams that were worse than Vanderbilt in that regard last year. Uh, Vanderbilt, uh, again, defensively, just just not great last year. Uh, I've got some stats I want to read off to you, okay? Doors, they need to improve everywhere. Let's see here. They gave up up more yards per carry than any defense in the Southeastern Conference last fall at 5.2 yards per attempt. No other SEC defense allowed more than 4.85 yards per attempt. That is not good. Vanderbilt also gave up more yards, uh, more passing yards per attempt at 8.75. Uh, and, and they had the most of any defense in the SEC and allowed the highest completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks at 64.5%. Just a brutal combination defensively uh, for a team that is supposed to be known at least better for its off defense with a defensive-minded head coach. So, uh, and, and to make matters even worse, your leading tackler, who I believe went on to get drafted, Anthony Orgy, 107 tackles last year. Of course, he's no longer with the program. You do bring back C.J. Taylor. Okay, linebacker, he was second on the team. Behind Orgy was seven TFLs, uh, 59 tackles. He's a guy that you're going to have to look out for. You bring back some veterans and Christian Jones, who tied for the uh, team lead with two sacks last year. 
This is a defense that only accumulated seven sacks or 17 sacks on the season. That's just not good. Not good whatsoever. You do bring in some help on the edges to try to get after the quarterback. Transfers from Stanford, Arneas uh, D. Cosmo, and Prince Colley. That's a name uh, from Jonesboro, Tennessee, I believe. Uh, anyway, he went to Notre Dame, was a reserve linebacker, and he has transferred to uh, Vanderbilt. So a little help to get off the edge, if you will. And then you look at the secondary. You bring back uh, your two safeties who were second and who who tied for second on, or third on the team in tackles last year, Jalen Mahoney and DeRicky Wright. And then you bring back cornerbacks, Tyson Russell and B.J. Anderson. All those guys have plenty of experience in the secondary. But Anyway, you want to look at it. Um, there's a pulse offensively, but you have no running game whatsoever. Defensively, you were atrocious a season ago, and you don't bring back an awful lot of good, experienced players. Also, back to offense, you lost your best player in Mike Wright, who transferred out of the program. I think AJ Swan's a decent quarterback, but uh, still, you know, Vanderbilt's improving under Clark Lee, but it's still got miles and miles to go. So, uh, coming off a Georgia game, which, you know, win or lose, it's supposed to be a hard-fought, uh, big-time emotional game for Tennessee. You'll need to take advantage. You'll need to take um, – you can't take advantage, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You can't sleepwalk through this game because Vanderbilt's shown us in recent years that you can't do that. However, this should be a game where Tennessee has no issue after the Thanksgiving holiday and heading on into bowl season. And, hey – maybe on into the SEC championship a couple of weeks later. That would be pretty cool. Or I guess it'd be the next week. Uh, anyway, you want to spend it, Vanderbilt's going to uh, end the season, and Tennessee should end that regular season with a win, and that is scouting the opponents. It is now wrapped up with Vanderbilt. Hope you guys learned something, and of course, we'll break down the teams and revisit some of these stats and add to it and what these teams have done so far in the season as Tennessee makes its way through the schedule. Guys, appreciate you as always for tuning in to Locked On Balls. It is your team every single day. Your first listen, shout out every day. Thanks so much for being back here. Subscribe to Locked On Balls on the YouTube channel, 8K by opening day. Let's, th- let's make that the goal. September the 2nd, let's get to 8,000 Locked On Ball subscribers. Would really appreciate it. And of course, you can always find us and follow us wherever you get or you, and you listen to your podcast. Appreciate you guys as always. We'll be back for a Friday show. What did I see from day two of Tennessee Fall Camp? I'll tell you tomorrow morning right here on Locked On Balls.